chapter 23 tonight, and we're going to be in chapter 23 and chapter 24. Tonight's message uh, is probably going to be a little bit more instructional uh, on the way of being a Bible study. Uh, it's really designed to help us to understand this uh, matter of the Christian life, how our lives need to be lived in accordance to the Word of God. It's so important that we understand as we lead our families, and I mentioned this morning, your family might be just you. It might be you and a spouse. Maybe you still have children in the home. Maybe uh, you have children that are grown and your home is uh, a little bit smaller now than it was uh, maybe a year, a couple of years ago. But uh, the one thing I, I understand is that as I live the Christian life as, as not just a pastor, but as a Christian, is I, I get around so many Christians, so many of God's people who live in such a way that, yes, we understand that Jesus came to this earth, we just celebrated Christmas, that he was born of a virgin, he lived among men, that he never sinned, he could not sin, that he died for the sins of the world, and as Jesus died, of course, he was placed in the grave. Now, the question that I want to ask you tonight is this, is God dead? We believe that Jesus rose from the grave and that he conquered death and hell. And so when I think about that, so many Christians, the way they live their lives, they live their lives as if they believe or they live in such a way that it's a testimony that God is dead. But can I tell you that if God is not dead, then we should live like God is not dead. We should live that like he is alive and and, and listen, so many of us, just like the children of Israel, I think we allow things in our lives to kind of uh, pour water on our fire to where we, we don't live the Christian life that God has intended us to. We get distracted, we get uh, sidetracked in our lives, and for some, we've just been a Christian for so long that maybe the fire has dwindled a little bit. I think about one of the things that I when I came here as a pastor four years ago, is that I feel like during the winter months, especially the beginning of a new year, that we really need a time of reviving in our own lives. And that's why I look forward to the end of uh, the, the month of January, beginning of the month of February, that we've got on our calendar uh, an upcoming revival. And we've got a tremendous uh, preacher that'll be with us. Dr. R.B. Olette will be here. And uh, tremendous man of God, and I'm looking forward to that. But as I think about the passage tonight, and we're going to look at these two chapters, but uh, the, the, the context tonight is not the church as we are the church. It is the nation of Israel, but certainly we can see some parallels. We understand that what God did in their lives, it's an example for us. Now, certainly we didn't have a promised land that we acquired that God promised to us. There are promises that God made to the nation of Israel that God has not made to us as the church. But when I look at these people, they were uh, a people that were being led by a man by the name of Joshua. The book bears his name. And when you get to the end of this book, chapter 23, chapter 24, Joshua now is a, an aged man, an old man, that he is, as the Bible says, stricken in years. And there's no doubt that Joshua, in his mind and, and his physical stature, that he is preparing 
sometime in the near future to die. As a matter of fact, look in chapter 23 and verse number 14. Look at the Bible says, Behold, he says, This day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know all in your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. So Joshua says, look, it's, it, I'm coming to the end of my time, the end of my life, the end of my days. Uh, just like Paul said in his life, I, I've run my race. I finished my course, so to speak. And Joshua, at the end of his life, he's, he's thinking about, before I leave, there's some things that I want to share with these people, God's people. And it revolves around this matter of serving the Lord. And I want you to think about that as we go through the message tonight about serving the Lord. In order to do this, what's unique about chapter 23 and chapter 24 is that Joshua actually calls two meetings before he departs from this earth. And uh, I see that as we look this morning in chapter 24, that that particular meeting, Joshua involved all the people of Israel. That's what we looked at this morning. Tonight, we're going to back up to chapter 23. In chapter 23, Joshua doesn't meet with the people of Israel. Joshua actually meets with the leadership of the people of Israel. The elders, the Bible calls them, the leaders of the people. And that's what we want to focus on tonight, and we will end up in chapter 24 where we were this morning. But before Joshua uh, moves on to the end of his life, he wants to encourage Israel to stay the course. Now here's maybe why God led me to this tonight, and I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to any Christian tonight, and that is the fact that it's so easy sometimes the way the world is going and the way that even to some degree the church is going today to get off course. Uh, people are always saying, hey, have you tried this? And what about this? Uh, maybe we ought to do this. And, uh, you know, the only thing I'm interested in is doing things God's way. That's what I'm interested in. And so when I think about Joshua here trying to encourage Israel to stay the course, Joshua knew that those that knew Moses and those that knew uh, him, those people were very quickly starting to pass away. I mean, we're not going to live forever, folks. I don't mean to burst your bubble tonight, but it's evident that none of us are getting any younger. And as Joshua is thinking about the people in his life and the children of Israel, many of them had already gone on to be with the Lord. And Joshua's thinking about this. He's thinking about a new generation that's coming along. The younger generation's growing up, and he's thinking, well, a lot of them did not see or witness many of the miracles that took place that the Lord did in their midst. And so before Joshua departs from this world. Joshua wants to take an opportunity to remind them of the God that they serve. You see, so many young people today don't really know, they know about God, but they don't know God. You understand what I'm saying? 
I was that way in my life until I was about 20 years old. I knew all about, I had a head knowledge of God, but I didn't in my heart really know who God was. There's a big difference. So Josh was thinking about this, just like I have thought in my days, about how many coming up behind us don't know the Lord. They don't know God the way we know God. People say, well, Pastor, why do we do vacation Bible school? Why have children's ministries? Because if we don't teach the children about God, who will? If we don't open up the Word of God and share it in our Sunday school classes and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, they're not going to get it from the news. They're not going to get it on television. This is one of the responsibilities of the church is teaching others also. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded unto you, as Jesus said. It's our responsibility to share the Word of God, to teach the Word of God. These aren't just some silly Sunday school stories. This is the Word of God. These, this is truth that needs to be delivered to the next generation. And we live in a day where many have forgotten even the power of God and they don't know such things that God has done in the past. I mean, maybe you saw in the news, I, I saw uh, yesterday that there was a supposedly the oldest surviving veteran passed away, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, 112 years old. His name was Richard Overton, a World War II veteran. Now you know that that guy saw some things in his day, 112 years old. Just like in Joshua's day, so many are no longer here or may not have that much longer. And we all need to be reminded of the power and the glory of our God. Our children need to be exposed to God, to the Word of God. We have children's classes and master clubs and other things like that. We want to make sure that, yes, the children are enjoying and having a good time but most of all, they're learning about God. That's what Sunday school is all about. It's not a time where the kids just sit there and goof around and get some candy and go home. When my children were younger and they were in Sunday school and they went to church, we'd get in the car on the way home or we'd get to the house after Sunday morning and I would always say to my children, what'd you learn this morning? I wanted to know what my children were learning about God. It was important to me. I wanted my kids, listen, that's what church, that's what being a Christian is all about. Can I tell you this evening that God is not dead and we must live like God is not dead. And it's important that we see this because notice the first thing I see about Joshua was that Joshua had a concern for the work of God. He had a real concern. Look in chapter 23 in your Bible, Joshua 23 and verse number 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all, all their enemies round about. Joshua waxed old, stricken in age. Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. You didn't have to tell Joshua. He knew that he was getting up in years. He knew that God had given them the victory. God had allowed them to settle the land. God knew that it was a time of prosperity and uh, some peace. They were finally getting to enjoy things and 
Verse number three, it says, And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations. Remember, they came into a land that wasn't theirs, and God gave it to them. And he says to them, he says, God's the one that fought for you. Look at verse four. He says, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. So Joshua, he's nearing the end of his departure, but he sees some things beginning to happen in the lives of the people of Israel. He sees things that honestly, listen, things that he doesn't really like. I'm afraid sometimes as Christians, that we see things or we know things that are not right, but we turn a deaf ear or we look away and just act as if it's okay. There's a word that the world uses, it's called tolerate. Do you remember when some of the stuff that is tolerated on TV right now was never allowed on public television. Do you remember the shock and awe when you first saw some of that? And nowadays, it's just accepted, it's just the norm. Folks, listen, times have changed. And if we're not careful, we'll lose our concern for the work of God. Joshua, even in his old age, as a leader, he felt it was his duty to point out these things to the people before he departs. Now, listen, I know that I'm the one here tonight with the message, and I know that God has allowed me to pastor this church, but can I tell you, I'm not departing. I'm not planning on going anywhere, all right? But I will tell you that God, for whatever reason, allowed me to come to this just for the very same reason that Joshua stood before the elders and, and the leadership of his day. And here's why. Because he loved them and he actually wanted God's best for them. Do you believe that your pastor loves you tonight? Do you believe that I want God's best for you tonight? Because, listen, with all my heart, that's the way I feel. That's the way I feel. And as Joshua did... I want to share some concerns, and I'm going to use what the Scriptures say. Is it all right with you if we just use the Bible tonight? Okay, so let me share some things. Notice his concern was, there were three things that Joshua feared. Here's the first one was, talking about the people of Israel, he feared their complacency. Their complacency. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 23. We're just going to go through these chapters but look at verse number six. Look what it says. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do how much? Do all that is written where? In the book of the law of Moses. How many of you know that that's a reference to the Bible, right? So God wants us to do how much that's in the word of God? How much? All. Okay. Notice here that ye turn not aside therefrom, from the word of God, to the right hand or to the left. See, here's, here's what Joshua, he's afraid that the people might begin to 
take the law of God, the word of God, for granted. We, I, I had the privilege of teaching in a Bible college for 12 years. And one of the things we used to tell students in the Bible college is the easiest place to backslide is in Bible college. Kenny and Becky probably still remember this. You know why? Because your greatest textbook is the Bible. And you know what happens when the Bible becomes a textbook? It just becomes another book in your, in your library. We cease to forget how very important, how special, how unique, how inspired this book really is. It's, it, it gets to the place where we start to take it for granted. And Joshua feared that they might begin to kind of let some things slide in their lives as a, as a Christian. By the way, I mentioned this morning that everything that Joshua feared really came to be true. It happened exactly what happened. Can I tell you, listen, I've been saved now for almost 34 years. You say, Pastor, are you satisfied with where you are as a Christian? No. We should never be satisfied with where we are. We should always be growing. We should always be studying the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Paul wrote it this way. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, look, I haven't arrived yet. I don't know it all. Paul certainly knew much of the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the law of Moses. But Paul says, look, the things that are behind me, he says, I'm reaching forth. I, I, there's still some things in my life as a Christian that I'm working on. But today, God's people, what we're doing is we're allowing things to lead us away from God and to lead us deeper into sin. Look at Revelation 3.16. Isn't it interesting that it's the, one of the three 16s in the Bible? We know John 3.16, right? But look at, look at Revelation 3.16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, we saw this this morning. God says, you're neither hot nor cold. I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says, you're becoming lukewarm. You know what happens when, we, when the church becomes lukewarm, when Christians become lukewarm? We become good for nothing. I mean, literally, we get to the place where we become a trigger uh, to gag a reflex about those around us. In other words, when somebody says, oh, you're a Christian. I always like it when they say it that way. You know what that really means? You're not really living like a Christian should live. You know, I've always found it amazing that unsaved people know how Christians should live. Have you found that to be true? In Joshua's day, the people, and this is what Joshua feared, the complacency that they no longer wanted to serve the Lord. I don't know why that is for some Christians, but can I tell you that that should never happen in our lives. We should always want to serve the Lord. But they had, 
they had lost their, their desire to, to live a consecrated life for the glory of God. They were satisfied with where they were. They were sure of who they were instead of, instead of being all that God wanted them to be. And can I tell you that that complacency puts us in a very dangerous position. And Joshua feared that. And so one of his fears was about their complacency. The second one was about their compromise. Look at verse number 7 of chapter 23. He says, that, he says that ye come not among these nations. Study the Bible. Listen, here's what you're going to find. Old Testament and New Testament. There is a standard of separation that the Word of God teaches. The Bible tells us that in the Old Testament, God never desired for his people to be a mixed race. Part of that spilled over into the Pharisaical attitude where the Jews would look down at people known as Samaritans because they were a half-breed uh, race of people, and so they looked down their nose upon them. But can I tell you that the Bible says, even in the New Testament, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And Joshua feared their compromise. Look at verse 7 again. Come not among these nations, these that remain among you. Neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. In other words, Joshua said, look, you have got to keep yourself separate from them. Don't intermingle with them. Folks, I understand we live in a lost world. We live in a world that is sin-cursed. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. That doesn't make us better. That makes us saved. And as long as we are in this world, we are to be salt and light. We are to try to help others come to know Christ as their Savior. It, it's not a holier-than-thou attitude. It is that God has been good to us, and because God has saved us, we ought to, in turn, tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, so many today, like in Joshua's day, they decide that they want to follow the dead gods of Canaan. They want to compromise their standards. They want to bow down to, to the idols of this world. Now, I know we don't have little statues. I know that we don't set up things, but there are things that we do worship. We worship self. I mean, you think about... All the things that, that people uh, received at, at Christmas time and going into the new year, it's all about self. It's all about making yourself slim and looking good in the clothes that you wear. It, it's, it's worshiping self. There's people that they, they don't worship self, they worship success. There are people that don't darken the doors of the house of God because they are too busy working piling up money that they don't have time for God. There are people that worship materialism. It's, it's listen, I've got to have this, I've got to have this, I've got to have this. Can I tell you, it's never enough. People are worshiping their careers. They're worshiping many other things. We allow ourselves to indulge in activities that we know God doesn't approve of. But yet we still do those activities. We do the things that we know are wrong, and somehow we justify it in our own minds and in our own hearts, and we'll say something like this, well, so-and-so does it. I couldn't stand that when my children were, would try to, try to pull that on me and say, well, 
my friend does this or so-and-so, or their parent. I'm like, listen, they don't live in my house. They don't have my last name. You are my child. It doesn't matter what they do because that's their family. Can I tell you that if you're saved tonight, you're a part of the family of God. And it's important for us to see that as we think about this world that we live in, that God hasn't changed, but we as God's people have compromised our standards and we've compromised according to the will of the flesh. And does the Bible not say abstain from all appearance of what? Evil. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Abstain from, stay away from, have nothing to do with anything that God would see is evil. And we wonder in our lives why God is, the work of God is being hindered. It's because we are allowing ourselves to be complacent, just like those in Joshua's day were compromising. But then notice another thing that was his fear was their commitment. Now, commitment's a good word. But I want you to look at verse number 8, because here's how the Word of God says it. But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. Joshua is saying, look, you've been pretty good when it comes to this matter of being committed to the Lord, being devoted to the Lord, but he feared that their commitment would become slack, that they would not cleave unto the Lord. The, the, Lord, the word cleave uh, carries the same meaning of being glued to. You know, remember the old commercial uh, for Band-Aids? I'm stuck on Band-Aid and Band-Aid stuck on me. Remember that? I guess I'm dating myself, but I remember it. You know, the kid got in the water and the Band-Aid stayed on, right? And listen, when it comes to our lives as Christians, we need to be stuck on the Lord. And we need to cleave unto the Lord. Listen, when you're glued to something, then, then it doesn't matter what's going to happen in your life. You're going to stay with the Lord. But the problem is, is that we're not cleaving. That's why so many marriages have ended. Because the Bible tells us that we should leave our father and mother and that, that we should cleave to one another. That's, that's one thing I appreciated about my father. I, and I said that at, at his funeral. I said, listen, my father, like any other marriage, there were good times and bads, for better, for worse. But I appreciated my father's commitment. My dad took very seriously the statement, till death do us part. I said to my mother, I said, uh, I said something to her about my, my father and his passing, I, I went and see her uh, the day after he passed at the, at, at the home where she's staying, and she, she said to me, she said, you know, he's not in pain anymore. And I said, no, he's not. She said, I, I had a chance to talk to him. They took my mother from the home, went over to the hospital in those final hours, and she said, I had a chance to talk to him. She said, we talked about things, and she said, I told him, it's okay. You can go. She said, we hugged each other, and she said, he gave me a kiss. That's what she said to me. Listen, that commitment was there. My mom said to my sister yesterday, she said, he's not in pain anymore. She said, we have to stay strong. We need to stay committed to the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 10, look at this, he that loveth father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. Folks, I'm not saying this tonight. Jesus said those words. He says, if you love father and mother more than you love me, you're not even worthy of me, Jesus said. Notice, he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. In other words, if he is not first place in your heart and in your life tonight, then you and I are not worthy of him. Listen, Josh was thinking about all these things as, as his time was drawing near. And he says, look, I'm concerned. I, I'm fearful about their commitment. The ultimate expression that Jesus said there in Matthew 10 of their love for the Lord Jesus was their willingness to bear his cross. I wonder if you're willing as a Christian to bear his cross. That might mean that in your commitment to him that that, that you might have to miss something to be at church, or you might, have to, you might have to say publicly around other people, well, I'm a Christian, or I don't do that. In other words, I'm committed to the Lord. It's a total commitment to the Lord. Joshua says, look, I have a concern. I realize my life is spent, but before I leave, he's telling the leadership of the, of, of the nation of Israel, I've got a concern about the work of God. And tonight, can I tell you, speaking from my heart, just being transparent, I've got a concern for the work of God, just like Joshua did. And then notice the next thing that Joshua shares with them. He not only has a concern for the work of God, but he wants them to consider the ways of God. Joshua's challenging the leadership, the elders, and the people to look at what God has done and what God is doing. By the way, God's not dead, right? And so God is still doing some things in this world today, in our lives today, in our church today. And so notice, we need to consider, first of all, God's wrath. Now, I know it's not pleasant to start that way, but if we're following the passage, then this is the order that God's given to us. It's interesting that he starts with wrath in chapter 23 and verse number 9. Look at it. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty, in other words, it's going to happen, that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, all that came to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, until he hath destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. 
When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. Now, I don't know if you saw it there, but he's talking about God's wrath. Now, clearly, I picked it up about two or three times there that it's simple. Here's the principle. That if you serve God, God's going to bless you. But if you choose not to serve God, you choose to turn away from God, you choose to worship the gods of this world, if you disobey him, then God will chastise you. God's going to deal with you. In other words, if you play, you have to pay. That's the principle. As a child of God, you're, you're either going to have to learn to live within the confines of the will of God, and when we're in God's will, guess what? God's going to bless our lives. But if you choose to live outside the will of God, outside the confines of God's will, then what's going to happen is God's going to deal with you. God's going to discipline you. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. See, the choice tonight, listen, Joshua knew this. The choice was theirs. The choice tonight is yours to make, and the choice that you make is going to be determined by your love for the Lord and the love that you have for God, because it's clear God so loved the world. God proved his love. Joshua was telling them, and God's telling us tonight, it's our chance to prove our love to him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, let me put it in today's English. Do what I've asked you to do. What has God asked us to do? Well, it's written in the book, folks. We need to follow the Word of God. See, we've got to consider the ways of God. And he starts with considering God's wrath. But then as we move into chapter 24, he tells us secondly to consider God's works. Now, I shared many of these this morning in chapter 24 in verse number 1. Now Joshua gathers all the tribes of Israel, the people, to Shechem. And he calls for the elders and for their heads and for the judges and their officers and present, presented them before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And he says, but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt, and I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you up, excuse me, I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came under uh, the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea, and when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and you dwelled in the wilderness a long season. I mean, if you look at this passage, he's just recounting all that God did for them, the works of God. He wants them to remember how the Lord worked on their behalf, all of God's goodness. How many of you would testify tonight, God's been good to you? I mean, do I need to remind you? Is it hard for us? in our minds, in our hearts, to think about all the ways that God has been good to us? 
it far outweighs all the things that we struggle with in life. God's good all the time, folks. And, and he's sharing here the works of God. And can I tell you, when you start to read about, certainly we were not the children of Israel, but I mean for them and for us tonight, when you start to think about all the things that God has done, the works of God in your lives, you know what that becomes? It becomes a great motivator for us to serve Him. I, I started to think about this, wrote a few thoughts down. I began to think about how He died for me and how He loved me when I was lost and, and how He came to me in my sin and He called me unto Himself and how He saved me whenever I, I asked Him to and how He forgave me of not just some of my sins, He forgave me of all of my sins and all of my failures. How, listen, how about this? He adopted me into his family. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of the king. He has promised me a home in heaven. He has met all of my needs. He has blessed my life. He, he has told me, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Uh, even during uh, particular times in my life, when I've walked away from him, he has never forsaken me. I've thought about his goodness and his greatness toward me. And all those things and many others just become a great motivator in my life to renew my relationship with him. Can I tell you, that's the same thing Joshua was doing, was reminding them of all the mighty works that God had done in their lives. And certainly, listen, when Joshua began to rehearse all the, those things, it should have easily been, hey, listen, uh, thank you for reminding us, Joshua. We forgot some of those things. Certainly, it's a definite motivator for us to go on serving God. And he wanted them to consider the wrath of God, but the works of God. And then notice, thirdly, consider the will of God. What's God's will? I mean, it's something that a lot of times people think that it's some big mysterious thing. Say, Pastor, where do I find God's will for my life? How do I know what God's will is? Well, a good place to start is to get into the Word of God. And tonight, as we look at a couple verses, I want you to see what God's will was for them. Look at chapter 24 and verse 14. The Bible says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through, uh, through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now you say... What do you get out of that? Well, here's what I get is, what, it, what was God's will? God's will for them was to clean their lives up, to get their, their lives in order, to put away those false gods, to serve Him faithfully. He said in verse number 15, listen, that's what me and my house are going to do. We're going to stay faithful to our faithful God. And the people responded. We talked about this this morning. It was their desire at this time. Listen, we want to serve God because of God's greatness to us, because of God's blessings to us. And we see here that just like in their day and the same in ours, that God is still looking for the same thing. God is looking for a vessel, a clean vessel. 
that God wants to use. That ought to be our heart. God, if there's anything, I mean, when we, when we take the Lord's table, what do we do? We stop as the scriptures admonish us and we examine ourselves. The psalmist said, search me, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me. If there's something in our lives that doesn't belong there, that's not pleasing to God, our desire should be, Lord, clean me up. God, forgive me. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. I mean, I'm going to say this. I don't want you to answer me, but I hope that you're not one of those kind of people that if you want something to drink at your house, you don't go to the sink and get a dirty glass and pour something in it. I know this, I want to go to the cabinet. I want to get a clean cup out of the cabinet. I want to put something in it to drink, and I don't want some crusty something in it. If I go to the restaurant sometimes, and I sit down, and and I'm sitting there getting ready to order, and I look down, and the silverware that the waitress had put on my table has some stuff from maybe the last person's meal. I'm not going to pick it up and use it. Now, don't tell me if you would. And I've done it kindly before. I've just said to the waitress, can I get a new fork, please? Why do we expect that God would use us if we have something in our lives that has caused us to be filthy, dirty, sin? God is still looking for someone's a, a vessel that he can use and we need to consider God's will. Joshua was trying to help him understand what God's will was for them and that was that they were to fear him, they were to put away these false gods and they were to serve him in sincerity and truth. And then he says, listen, the fourth thing is I want you to consider God's witness. Look at verse number 19 of chapter 24, look at it. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord. To serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Now again, it's a strange statement because Joshua says, You can't serve the Lord. What is he doing here? He's reminding these people that the Lord witnesses, God knows what's in our lives. And They cannot have things both ways. They can't say, listen, I'm going to serve God on one hand, and I'm going to live for the world, and I'm going to live for the gods of the world, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Joshua says you can't have it both ways. You can't serve God that way. He reminds them that judgment will accompany any such action, that the people, even though they're proclaiming their desire, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
You can't hide something from God that's even in your heart tonight. Whatever it is, God sees it. Many are trying to straddle the... They're trying to live like a Christian maybe on Sunday, but they live like the devil from Monday to Saturday. You cannot straddle the fence in your devotion to God and living for yourself. Elijah stood in his day on Mount Carmel and he said unto the people, how long halt you between two opinions? See, they, had, they were trying to have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. He put it to him. he says, if the Lord be God, that's one way, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I, I hope tonight you would say in your heart, just like the children of Israel, that, hey, listen, God is my God and I'm going to serve him. But so many live their lives that even though they are saved, they're not living for God. And the choice, again, is something that many struggle with. And when we warn people today, even a message like this, we get oftentimes the same response that, that Elijah got when he stood there on Mount Carmel, when he said, if God be God, then follow him. And if Baal be God, then follow him. But notice the end of verse 21. And the people answered him, what's it say? The people answered him, not a word. Do you know that their no response was a no response? They didn't have to say it. Sometimes when we choose not to let God be God in our lives, we don't have to say it. Sometimes it's what we don't say. Sometimes it's by our lack of appearance. Sometimes it's by our lack of engaging. Folks, can I tell you tonight that when we start to think about all the things that God has done and we start to think about the fact that God wants to bless us if we obey Him, but if we disobey Him, the wrath of God is sure. Then when we think about this, we should consider the witness of God. And it's, it's important that we see that Joshua says, you've got to consider the works of God. But notice I want you to see, thirdly tonight, the covenant that they needed to witness, the covenant witness of God. And when I say the word covenant, here's what I mean tonight, that when you would make a covenant with someone about something, what you are saying is that you are agreeing with that individual or that particular party. I know that whenever uh, I, my pastor talked to me and my wife, and we were, we were getting ready to, to be a, a husband and wife, married 33 years ago, that I, I was made to understand that a, a true marriage arrangement, a covenant, is not just between a man and a woman, but it's a covenant between a man and a woman and God. And we need to understand tonight that Joshua was trying to help them understand that God will leave a witness when it comes to this matter of their statement. In other words, they said twice, hey, we will serve God. He is our God. We will obey him. And I want you to see what Joshua did. We touched on this a little bit, but I want to expound this from this morning. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 25 of chapter 24. So Joshua made a, here's the Bible word, covenant 
with the people that day. And he set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a, notice, a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. I spent that look, time looking at that, dealing with this covenant. And notice, first of all, that the covenant involved, as it says here, a great stone. Now, I don't know how big this stone was. The word great there means it was a sizable stone. But they chose this stone, Joshua, before he dies, he erects this monument, and the reason he did it was to set it up to say, listen, as a people, as God's people, I just want to call you to record this day that you have sworn to God, not to me, that you're going to follow him. See, listen, my allegiance isn't to a person on this earth, my allegiance is to the Lord. When I, when I promise something to the Lord, I want to keep that promise. And that's what Joshua, he's trying to, to help them understand that they are accountable for what they have said. And, and so uh, where the, they place the stone, in other words, when they would pass by that way in the future, whether it was a day later, whether it was a week later, whether it was years later, I mean, even, even in the Bible, it says that when, in the days to come, when your children come by here, and they see the, those stones in that particular passage, that they would say, what mean these stones? In other words, what's significant about it? What's this memorial about? Uh, I've traveled around, sometimes I've gone on hikes, and I've seen people who will do something similar. I don't think it probably has a lot of meaning, but they'll, they'll take stones and they'll stack one stone on top of another, kind of creating some type of a monument or a memorial. In other words, this is where we came, this is where we hiked, this is where we stopped. It was of great significance. And the Bible calls it a great stone so that they would remember the oath that they made, that, that they, what the, the way they were living their lives. And every time they passed there, that they would think to themselves, am I still living a life that is pleasing to the Lord? How many of you think that's a good thing to be reminded? A lot of times I talk to our men when we have our men's meetings, and I'll say something like this. You know, it would, it would do us all well to have what we call an accountability partner. My accountability partner is joy. She's my joy when she tells me I'm doing good. She's not my joy when she's telling me when I'm not doing good. I'm just kidding. But, but the thing is, is that it would do us well to have someone or something to remind us that when we see it, when we pass by it, it causes us to think, Am I living a life pleasing to the Lord? Listen, if you don't have a stone or you don't have an accountability partner that you can look at to say, is my life lining up with the Lord? Am I living for the Lord today? If nothing else, why don't you just use the mirror? Look into the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to help you to understand, okay, my life does line up with the Word of God. I mean, folks, listen, every time we do something, we need to be reminded of the fact that as we erect those, those monuments in our lives, it should help us to remember things like, yes, I am saved. 
Yes, I made a decision to live for the Lord, and I made some promises that I was going to be faithful to the Lord, maybe going into this new year. I mean, how many times do we start the new year with this one? I'm going to read my Bible every day. Anybody besides me ever failed to read your Bible on a particular day? You know? A lot of times we, we need to be reminded. Sometimes people say, I'm, I'm going to witness more for the Lord this year than I've ever witnessed in the past. And 2018 is almost gone. I wonder how many times we've talked to somebody about the Lord. See, this involved a great stone because they had forgotten many of the things that God had done for them. Are you doing the things that the Lord has asked you to do? A lot of times, and Brother Kenny just came back, Miss Becky, from, from winter camp, and our teens had a great time, and I don't know, maybe they made some decisions between them and the Lord, but you know, many times we talk about that because it's, it's something that's easy to talk about. The teens come back, and they stand, and they give testimony about maybe decisions that they made when they were at camp, and, and many times as adults, we think to ourselves, well, I sure hope that he keeps that decision. I wonder how many decisions we as adults haven't kept. And we don't stand like the teens do. Maybe we ought to do that sometime, just have a testimonial service and get up and talk about decisions that we made. And I wonder if we could stand up and say, in all these years, I've kept that decision. I'm still doing that. I'm still honoring the Lord. Look, it would be a good thing for us to maybe have something in our lives that would be a witness of God in our lives. And Joshua, he sets up this great stone. So every time they looked at it, they were reminded of the vow that they made, the decision that they made to serve the Lord. But here's something interesting as you come to the end of this book, the end of this chapter even. Not only do we see a great stone, but I want you to see that it also involves some gravestones. Some gravestones. It's the end of his life. It's also the end of the book. And the book closes, and God showed this to me. I've never really looked at it this way before, but it closes with three funerals. Each one of them are very significant because these funerals are something that even to this day still speaks to us about the witness of God. And as we go into this new year, I want you to see these Notice the first one I see is the gravestone of faithfulness. The gravestone of faithfulness. Look at verse 29 of this chapter. And it came to pass after these things, that Joshua, the son of Nun, the, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sirah, which is in the Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived or lived longer than Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Now, when you look at that, do you see that last statement there that he had done for Israel? How many of you think that he is Joshua? No takers? Because the he is not Joshua. The he is God. And so when I see this first funeral marker here, this gravestone of faithfulness, it reminds us, yes, about Joshua's grave, but here's what it speaks of. It spoke of the faithfulness of God to his people. 
How many of you know God is faithful? He's a faithful God. God, in his faithfulness, used this man Joshua after Moses to bring his people into the promised land, to lead his people in the right way. There was a man that came the other day, I think yesterday, and he was spraying for bugs here in the church and said, do we have bugs? Well, now we don't, but it's always nice when they come by. You know, we live in South Florida, right? And the guy came in and came through my office and, and uh, he saw me sitting in my office studying, saw my Bible open, and we started to chat a little bit while he was spraying. And he says, listen, he says, that's, that's a great work that you're involved in there. And I said, yes, it is, as a matter of fact. I began to talk to him about our church. I said, do you go to church? He told me where he goes to church. He's faithfully going to church. He talked about the Lord. It was evident that he had a testimony that the Lord was a part of his life. We talked for a little while. And uh, I began to talk to him about our church and how wonderful our church is and how this year in just a couple of weeks we'll celebrate 69 years. And I said, you know, I said... It's my privilege to be the sixth pastor of this church in 69 years. I said, that, that's pretty amazing when you see most churches that have so many different pastors pastor them. I said, but you know, I said, it's not about six pastors. It's about the same God. It's about a faithful God. How God uses people to lead his people. And through the life of Joshua, God had proven himself to be a faithful God. Romans 4.21 the Bible says of God being fully persuaded that what he hath promised, that he was able also to perform. How many of you know God is able? All right? God can do the impossible. If we walk in, in, in accordance to the will of God, if we serve God, then God, according to the word of God, will in turn bless our lives beyond measure because God is faithful. And I love this first gravestone that I see here. It's the gravestone of faithfulness, but notice the second one was the gravestone of fulfillment. See, God is faithful, but you know another great thing about our God is that he will fulfill every promise that he's ever made. And we see this in verse 32, look at it. The second funeral, the bones of who? Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt. Buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for an hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. I say, why is this here? Because it belonged to a man, yes, that had died many centuries before the land of, of uh, lived in the land of Egypt. But if you remember back in Genesis chapter 15, that that Joseph was on his deathbed, and Joseph made a prediction on his deathbed. And I want you to see that in chapter, chapter 50, where Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, under the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. And so here we are in the end of the book of Joshua tonight. And Joshua is gone the way of the world, 
And now, several hundred years later, a grave is being dug in Shechem, and a coffin is being lowered, and a body that is placed in the ground was promised hundreds of years before this time. And I see that we serve a God that is able to make that which seems impossible to become a reality for his children. The Bible says, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. What are you going to ask God for this year? What are you going to expect from God? Because God, look, whatever it is that you're going to ask of God, he can do exceeding abundantly above it. You can never outdo God. You can never outguess God. You can never outgive God because God is faithful and God will fulfill every promise because God is one that we can count on. And so we see these graves here that it is the gravestone of faithfulness, the gravestone of fulfillment. But look at the third one tonight, the last verse. The Bible says, And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him in a hill that pertained to, to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. This is the gravestone of finality. The gravestone of finality. This last gravestone marks the grave of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the high priest, who was the first high priest. And his grave is the grave of finality because, listen now, this is where we began tonight. We're going to end here. Is that the death of Eliezer marks the changing of the guard in Israel. Y'all understand the phrase, the changing of the guard? Remember Joshua's fear that all those that were before him and with him that had seen the mighty works of God, that all the old timers, if I can say it that way, they're all gone. All those that came out of Egypt, all those that were in the wilderness, they passed away from the scene. All those that God used in a mighty fashion, they're now dead. And now here comes a new generation. Here comes a generation to pick up the mantle of service, to do something for the Lord. Folks, listen, it's a sad day when, when you see something like that on the news, that 112-year-old veteran that lived his life, that served his country, when, when those soldiers of Jesus pass from the scene. But it's even more sad when those that are left behind do not pick up the mantle. Those that are left behind will not carry on the work of God. You see, Israel, in time, they turn to the idols after the death of their great leaders. And today, I'm afraid, just like in Joshua's day, that the church as is coming into view today, this modern church that many times people call it, is a church that has forsaken the old past that, that have been laid down before us by those that have gone before us. Jeremiah said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Brother Gilbert and I, we were sitting in the fellowship hall yesterday, and I always appreciate Brother Gilbert's perspective on things. And many times he'll talk to me about something. And he said to me, he said, you know, Pastor, you made a statement in one of your messages. And he said, I, I, I don't know if I really like what you said. And we began to talk. And he was talking to me about a statement I made about traditions. And he said, I think some traditions 
are good things. And I said, I agree with you, Brother Gilbert. I said, I believe that if it's a tradition that God has given to us, the Word of God and things like that, I said, those things we need to hold dear to ourselves. But I said, if you remember what I was talking about in that message, was I was talking about things that man has taken and made it a tradition. You see, we've taken things that are not God's things. And we've decided that we're going to make something out of it instead of making something out of what God has given to us. The Bible refers to it here as the old paths. I'm not interested in a new past. Do you remember what happened when David in his day, they wanted to transport the ark? What kind of ark did they get? Or cart did they get? They got a new cart. The ark wasn't meant to be transported on a cart. When they constructed the ark, they, they were instructed to make staves, to carry it with the staves. God always has a specific way that he intends for his work to be done. And yet, what is this world? What is this, the, this newer church today? They don't want to do things God's way. They're not interested in the old past where it is the good way. They want to try this and they want to try that. Listen, can I tell you, if it's not broke, then you don't have to fix it. They want to try so many different things instead of getting back to what is the good way, what is God's way. And I love what it says in Jeremiah 6, 16. It says that if we stay with God's way, the good way, we walk therein, that we shall find rest for our souls. How many of you like rest? Anybody off maybe tomorrow, next day? You know, we'll enjoy a couple days off maybe. But can I draw your attention to the end of Jeremiah 6.16? Because God said, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But look at this. But they said, Preacher, you're a little old-fashioned, aren't you? You need to get with the times. I mean, this is, this is, this is modern technology today. you got to have this in your church, and you got to be doing this. you got to dress this way. you got to have this kind of pulpit. Listen, they said we will not walk therein. You know what they're saying? We want to do it our way. We're not interested in God's way. And yet the Bible says, stand ye in the ways. God help us to be like Elisha, who in the days of Elijah, you remember that the mantle fell and Elisha picked up uh, the mantle of Elisha, Elijah and he cried unto God. In other words, he said, God, you did it for Elijah, do it for me. The Bible says Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his old, own clothes and he rent them in two pieces and he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha walked over. He went over. You know why? Because the God of Elisha 
wasn't dead. And he wasn't living like he was dead. See, so many people today, they don't want to stand for God in their day. They don't want to be counted for the Lord. Listen, where are those that are tired of business as usual? And where are those that still want to see God move the waters and God to be in the midst of his people? Listen, there is a generation in our midst that that I believe with all my heart, they know nothing about the power of God. The God of Elisha is not dead. The God of Moses is not dead. The God of Joshua is not dead. He is alive and well tonight. The problem is with our generation is that there's no Elijahs today. There's no Moseses today. There's no Joshuas today. God is still wanting to use anyone that would make themselves available to God. Tonight I wonder, would you say to God, I'm available this year? I love what D.L. Moody, as a young man, he heard this man by the name of Henry Varley say this, he said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a life that is totally surrendered to him. And when Moody heard that as a young man, here's what he said. He says, I'll be that man. Now, there was nothing special about Moody, but there was something special about Moody's God. Moody's God was alive. God used D.L. Moody to shake two continents for the Lord. I, I believe with all my heart, God is still looking for someone who would come to him today and say, I'll be that man. I'll be that lady. I'll be that teenager, that, that, that young boy, that young girl. But listen, it's all going to come from one thing tonight, just like Joshua. Are we concerned about the work of God? Would we consider all the things that God has done for us and how God has blessed us? Because if we don't listen and we don't obey the word of God, then certainly God will deal with us. And I think clearly we see tonight through Joshua's parting words that there is a witness that God has left of himself, all because of the fact that God is not dead. God is alive. And this year, may God help us to live as if our God is alive. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the Word of God, for the power of the Word of God. Lord, as I think tonight, even the message, I think about the understanding tonight of what Joshua was trying to convey in those final maybe days or hours. He called the elders of the nation of Israel together, the officers, those that were in leadership positions. Maybe some of them had been distracted. Some of them were starting to compromise, maybe not living a life separate from those around them that did not know you as God. Then he called the people. He began to share with the people that the choice was theirs. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Lord, it's been something that has resonated in my heart for 33, almost 34 years. And I pray that you'd help us in our hearts and in our homes, with our families, to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve a God who is alive, a God who is powerful a God that can do the miraculous. Lord, I pray that you'd bless and use our church 
Use each one of us this year for your honor and for your glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray.